Okay, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Uh, happy Father's Day. We have got um, David and Bob are going to get a, a special present for the fathers and men in the room. We wanted something really fierce and manly to give you. So we've got some special cupcakes um, for you. These are from Golden Ribbon. And uh, they, they are, uh, just so you know, Golden Ribbon is a, a gentleman who started out who lost his uh, family and uh, to cancer. So he set up this company and all the proceeds go to uh, cancer research. So uh, we're going to come around now, I think, and we're going to pass out uh, amazing cupcakes. This is the first time you can eat in church listening to the sermon, okay? So they are just for the men. I'm sorry, ladies. Um, they've been made especially pretty. So feel free to grab them, uh, guys, if you can. Uh, while you're getting your cupcakes, if you can turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17, that will be fantastic while we go around give out the cupcakes. Um, we've started on this series, the impossible series, um, how to do what is easier said than done. And over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at walk by faith. How do you walk by faith? We've looked at love your enemies. How do you love your enemies? And uh, this morning, we're going to look at this subject. And the subject is defeat your Goliath. Ephesians 6 says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces, evil in the heavenly realms. These cupcakes are causing far too much disturbance. So I will have one. I might have one later, actually. Thank you. That'd be good. Yeah. Um, okay. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. Good. Okay. Has everybody got their cupcake? Yes. Some of you are smiling more than I've ever seen you smile in church before. This is fantastic. Excellent. Good. Okay, so um, and when I, I put this up on social media saying that I was going to talk about this subject, Defeat Your Goliath, and got quite a bit of response. And what I realized really quickly is that when most of us think about a Goliath in our life, we can think about a huge variety of things. For some of us, we're wrestling with um, internal struggles, and that's our Goliath. For someone, it might be a circumstance. It might be a health issue. It could be all manner of different things that become our Goliaths. Uh, for me, uh, one of my Goliaths, uh, my, my job in life is to make missionaries. I'm a missionary maker. That's what I do. And uh, in my life, uh, making missionaries, uh, perhaps one of the biggest um, obstacles I face is Christian, modern Christian teaching. And modern Christian teaching. So I'm trying to make missionaries of people who for decades have heard that um, Christianity is all about God taking our burdens off us and making life easier. Uh, one author said, the problem is we preach Christianity a bit like a luxury liner. People get on board, they start looking around and realize actually it's a battleship. And so one of the obstacles I have is how do I encourage the church that's been taught it's all about them, that actually it's all about the kingdom? How do I do that? So we all have different Goliaths. And for me, one of the biggest challenges over my ministry has been particularly raising up men. Did you know that if a child is the first in a family to become a Christian, uh, there is a 3.5% chance of the rest of the family becoming Christians? If a lady is the first in a family to become a Christian, there is a 17% chance, statistically, of the rest of the family becoming Christians. If a man is the first to become a Christian in the family, there is a 97% chance 
of the rest of the family becoming Christians. In other words, if you're a man and you're a Christian and you're heading up a family, it's extremely likely that the rest of the family will come to know the Lord, which I think is an amazing thing. And what an incredible responsibility. Amen? It's an incredible responsibility. So um, I want to talk about that. When I uh, first started to work in uh, lunchtime clubs in schools in Manchester and began to get teams, so I trained up these missionaries to go into schools, what I noticed really quickly was that, was if a young lady led, led the Christian union, then lots of girls would come, but no boys. If a man led the Christian union, lots of girls would come and lots of boys would come as well. It was really, really interesting. So there's a real challenge, I think, for us as men to rise up and to understand that the role of a man, and I'm not really going to talk about this mainly today, but the role of man is important. Um, when I look at the media, particularly in England, um, when men are portrayed on like soap operas, they're either weak-willed and um, just soft, or they're overbearing, dominance and violence. And there are not that many great role models, and we need great model models. One thing I know from doing schools work is young boys in schools, if they need anything, they need great male role models. And I praise God there are many here as well today, this morning. It's incredibly important. Uh, there was a story, um, a true story of a, a prison that decided, the, the head of the prison decided that he would give out um, Mother's Day cards to any um, prisoner who wanted a Mother's Day card to send off to the mother. He said, we'll give you a card and we'll pay for the postage for you. And they, um, all of them went. And on the next year, they had to get more. When it came to Father's Day, they said, we'll do the same thing. If you need a Father's Day card, three went. And he, he said, uh, the problem of the sons is the fathers. And we need these great rumbles. And we need men who rise up and fight a godly battle. And so that's what I want to talk about today is how do we defeat our Goliaths, whatever they might be. Now, I realized that um, there was no, people were asking me questions. And I realized there was a huge variety to what people saw as Goliaths. So what I say today may or may not help. I want to share three principles that helped me and hopefully it'll help you. And they're based on a story that really represents um, defeating our Goliath, which is the story of David and Goliath. So we're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, I want to start with the first principle I've learned, or the first practice I've learned, and it's this. Resist the devil. So let's read from um, 1 Samuel 17, starting at verse 8. It says this. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So um, I don't know how you used to start fights in your school. Uh, I went to an all-boys school, and if you wanted to start a fight, there was a guaranteed button you could push. Anybody know what it was? Talk about the mother. Absolutely guaranteed. If you were trying to rouse something into a fight, there were fights every day in our, in our, uh, in our school, every day. In fact, my son, when we first came over here, um, he retaliated once and was put into Turning Point School. Do you know Turning Point School? It's like a last, my, my son's an angel, I couldn't believe it. And we found out it's because he'd, he'd punched somebody back. 
And I said, if that happened in my school, the entire school would have been in turning points, you know, because it was just constantly like that. So, but that was one thing. I think what's happening here is there's this un unbelievable verse. So in the Message Bible, the next verse says, enter David. I love those two words. It just simply says, enter David. So the whole of the Israelites are terrified, enter David. I think that what really gets David, when I drash this in Havreen, when I put myself into his place, I think he's really annoyed that someone is publicly denouncing God, belittling God, belittling who God is, and he's passionately angry about that and wants to do something about that. But the rest of Israel is like, we're worried, but we can tolerate it. Somebody once said, if you can tolerate something, you can't change it. And when I look at this story, I see David, and it says, David enters. He enters the battle. And what you've got is you've got Saul here, and Saul is not resisting. And the longer he doesn't resist, the bigger his Goliath becomes. The longer he doesn't resist, the bigger his Goliath becomes. The more and more there is time and, and the Philistine is shouting, the less likely people step forward. So I want to ask the question, how do you resist the devil? What does that mean, resist the devil? Um, many years ago, uh, this is where we used to live, uh, in, in Manchester, and... Um, and it was quite a rough area. So where we live and the next door neighborhood was um, the uh, most deprived area in England, officially. Apparently we found out afterwards. Um, so one day I came home and uh, there was graffiti on all these posts and on the front of the houses on this right-hand side. So our house was next uh, in the middle of the one with the white doors and the one with the metal doors. So that was our house. And there was graffiti everywhere. And um, the kids in our area were pretty mean, but they weren't very bright. So they put their names on there. So, so I went to my neighbors and said, look, we can track these kids down and get them to come and clean this up. And my neighbors said to me, all of them said this, if we do something, it'll get worse. And I said to them, no, you don't understand bullying. If we don't do something, it'll get worse. Because that's how bullying works. Bullying is just a form of evil, and all of evil works the same way. If you don't resist evil, it gets worse and worse and worse. If you hide and hope it passes you by, it comes looking for you. And so what we did was we looked in, the, I eventually convinced them, we looked into the yellow pages. I went to visit the parents and we had a whole day where we had a line of kids scrubbing our fronts. We never had problems ever again. How do you resist the devil? What do you do to resist the devil? I don't think it's like something from a Hollywood movie, The Lord of the Rings, where you've got a big wizard who's shouting, you shall not pass in this kind of epic kind of like Hollywood style. Resisting the devil is not allowing the devil to put you off doing God's work and keep moving forward. And eventually, if he realizes he can't put you off, he gives up. That's what I've learned, at least in certain areas of my life. Um, when, when we first got married, we've been married now 30 years, Lynn and I, she's actually really sick. And I know she's really sick because it, it takes a lot for her to be that sick to not come to church. And um, so she's really ill right now, and she's in bed. And when we first got married, we had kind of like um, a battle, battle of the wills. Because um, there was a time, she would never ever do this now. It's weird to think about it even. But there was a time 30 years ago where if she was ill, she wasn't feeling well. She said, I I'm not very well, I'm going to stay at home. And I go, okay, well, I'm going to go to church. And she'd go, you're going to go to church while I'm ill? And I said, yep. And we had a battle of the wills, and I won. And I needed to win. Because she would admit this if you thought that she used emotional blackmail in the early days. She would never, ever do that now. But for her sake, 
I needed to be strong. I needed to be strong. I need to do those things. I would say to her, we're going to get to church and we're going to get there on time because I wanted to model that for our kids. I realized really early that when we were dating, we'd already started parenting our children because I realized our kids are going to catch the culture of our family and our relationship, not what I teach them. And um, I remember realizing that I had to be strong no matter what I felt like. Um, I had a mate of mine who um, said, I'm going to do the same thing. We're going to pray in the mornings together. We're going to pray in the mornings together. And um, I said to my wife, uh, we're going to pray in the morning at six o'clock. And uh, he came back to me next week. He said, so how did it go? He said, yeah. He said, I told her. And she said, she said no, let's, let's do the afternoon. But I said, no, we're going to do it in the morning. Because I wanted just to show, you know, I wanted to get up early and make this a priority. So that's great. The next week I said, how did it go? He said, not very well. I overslept. <laughs> so, so there's that kind of thing where you have to be determined, don't you? Resisting the devil is being determined. When... What you don't want to do when you're resisting the devil is show him your weakness. Because if he can find that one button to press, he'll press it every single time. It might be you're not feeling well. Now, I'm not saying you should do things when you don't feel well. I'm talking about when you're feeling it's kind of on the edge. I would encourage you to resist the devil and do God's work, whatever that is, whatever God's called you to do. Because the devil's not afraid of who you are. He's afraid of what you do. Um, so busyness, you know, we live in a world where we're constantly busy with so many different things. So if he knows, well, if I can make you busy, that'll deter you from doing the things that God has called you to do. He'll make you busy. How do you resist the devil? You don't show him what, what is your weakness. The Bible says this uh, about the devil. I think it's uh, just really insightful, as most of the Bible is, I find. It says this, be alert and be of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So whenever I've watched those wildlife programs, what I notice is you've got this roaring lion, and what's he looking for? The strongest in the pack or the weakest? He's looking for the weakest. And he's looking for the weakness in us. And sometimes the Lord asks us to do something, and there's that weakness in us, and we, I don't play poker, but I know not to show you cards. Uh, and, we show, and he knows which button to press next time. I would encourage you, I would encourage you, do resist the devil. Don't give in in those weak areas. Cut it off and he will flee. He will flee. You'll be surprised he won't test you as much in the future. He will flee if you don't resist, sorry, if you do resist uh, the devil. Whether it's difficult times, whether it's uh, our health. For me, sometimes doing what I do when you're leading, I spent most of my life kind of pioneering things. So starting things from scratch or repurposing things, Mark and Becky and I and Lynn, we repurposed a church with 17 members in uh, Manchester. It was really tough in those early days. And I learned that what I can't do is be swayed by um, how many people in a room or people's attitudes in a room, because that experience was very different from this experience. It was quite antagonistic and quite difficult. This has been a dream for us. Um, it was really difficult. But I've learned that you can't give in to that. You can't be swayed that. You have to be the thermostat, not the thermometer. You have to be the one that changes the room, not changed by the room. Uh, and the devil is terrified of you, absolutely terrified of you. I'm not talking about somebody with two, you know, little horns on top of his head. I'm talking about this, this person, this, this person of evil is terrified of you. Because who you are and what you, the damage you can do is incredible to, the, to the, the darkness in this world. It's incredible what you can do. But if he can make you just be comfy... He's going to win that battle. Resist the devil 
and he will flee. Secondly, don't bring a, a knife to a gunfight. Um, so the story of David and Goliath is not what most of us have been taught. So most of us have been taught, you've got this little, little lad called David, and you've got this big giant called Goliath, and most of us have a kind of like a Sunday school understanding of this story, and it's, it's very simple, it's quite simplistic. You've got this young lad, and he's got the faith to kill this giant with a sling, and if we have faith, it'll go great. Far too simplistic. Uh, the real message of this story is only found when you do some study. Let me read what happens next. It says this. Then David took his shepherd's staff, selected five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in the pocket of his shepherd's pack with his sling in his hand, approaching Goliath. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. Now, start to ask a question. What's odd in this passage of scripture? What's odd? So first of all, Goliath has to be led out. Why does Goliath have to be led out? If you read the passage, he has to be led out by his attendant. David doesn't have to be led out. Nobody has to lead him out. Why does Goliath have to be led out? Um, meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I dog? Do you come here with sticks? Why do you say that? David has a sling. He has a stick. Why does he say, why do you come here with me with sticks? He has a stick. What's going on here? Um, Am I a dog that you come here with me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. The Philistine ridiculed David. David answered, the battle belongs to God. He's handing you over to us on the platter. Love that line. That roused the Philistine, I bet it did. And he started forward towards David. David took off from the front line, running towards the Philistine. David reached into his pocket for a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine hard in the forehead, embedding the stone deeply. The Philistine crashed face down in dirt. When the Philistines saw that their great, when the Philistines saw that their great champion was dead, they scattered, running for their lives. So a couple of weird things are going on here. Malcolm Gladwell writes about this. Malcolm Gladwell is a, 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 an author. Does a podcast? You may have heard of him. Um, he says everything I thought I knew about this story was wrong, and he points out some research. And the research shows us a couple of interesting things. First of all, there's weird things going on. First of all, uh, Goliath says um, he walks out slowly. Uh, he needs an attendant. He sees sticks when there's only one stick. What's really going on here? Well, first of all, Goliath is heavy infantry. So there are, most armies have three types of army, don't they? They have heavy infantry, like tanks nowadays. They have um, um, artillery and they have cavalry. Um, no, cavalry would be tanks now, wouldn't we? Anyway, uh, there are three types of armies, okay? And what happens is he's heavy infantry. But what we think when we start looking at this is what the researchers have said and some scientists have looked at this story is we think they had giantism. Giantism makes sense. Um, I can never remember how to actually pronounce this, but acromegia, acromegaly uh, is the most for common form of giantism. So remember Jaws in the um, 
James Bond films. Remember Jaws? He was very, very big and he was kind of slightly disfigured. That's what giantism does to you. It can get you, it's all to do with like some hormones and stuff and that affect the, the nerves and the brain. It can make you very big. It can make you very slow. It can make you near-sighted, and it can make it hard to walk. It looks very likely, well, that's what was going on here with Goliath. He's got this problem. He's tall. He's big. He can't see. He's got double vision, which is a common uh, reality of this. He's got dumb, double vision. He's seen this little figure. He doesn't recognize David until he's quite close, and by then it's too late. What David doesn't do is doesn't allow Goliath or Saul to dictate the terms of battle. What David does is he goes back to something he can rely on and he gets the sticks, uh, sorry, the stick and the stone. He's artillery instead of heavy armor. Just a couple of facts. Slingers in those days uh, threw stones, which were barium sulfate rocks, on average at 35 meters per second. So a slinger, uh, the, the, the um, bullet, if you like, or the rock, had the same stopping power apparently of a 0.45 millimeter caliber handgun and slingers were known to have hit birds in flight on obstacles 200 yards away the story is different from what we're hearing you've not got this little boy who's just got faith what you've got is someone who's got the intelligence and the understanding to fight his enemy and not allow the enemy to dictate the terms and unfortunately that's what we do Sometimes we allow our enemy to dictate the terms. We allow our spiritual enemy to dictate the terms. And we don't want to bring a knife to a gunfight. And sometimes what happens is when the problems and circumstances are happening in our lives, we use the things that the world would use, and we don't use those special things that God has given us. Prayer, submission, humility, agape kind of love. We don't use the things that God has given us in our toolbox. We use what the world uses um the word there for resist the devil um, just uh, in james a little bit earlier is the word uh, in greek antis uh, antihistamine which is very similar to the word antihistamine it means to stand opposed to someone and what's interesting is it's used later in the new testament uh, it's used in uh, when jesus says um, turn the other cheek and uh, maybe that's a little bit different from what you might think uh, it, it says as well. So it says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Um, we're not going into too much detail because I don't want to bore you. What happens here is, why does it say the right cheek? So the, again, I say this all the time. There's no FYIs in the Bible. It doesn't say the cheek. It says the right cheek because it's talking about a backhanded slap. Particularly a backhanded slap denoted something very specific, not pain, but humility, oh, sorry, humiliation. So the idea is you are humiliating someone. Without going into too much detail, the other way of understanding that word, do not resist, is also do not compete. What really Jesus is saying is not that you don't defend yourself if somebody attacks you, or you certainly don't not defend your family. If somebody attacks our family, I'm going to defend them. What the, what the Bible is saying is, is you don't fight the way the world fights. You don't compete with the world the way the world competes. How do we defeat our Goliath? We don't allow uh, the devil to dictate the terms or fight the way that the, devil, uh, the world fights. We go to the resources that God gives us and we change the basis of the battle. 
Now, because I realize this is a very broad thing, Goliath can mean different things to different people, I don't know how that applies to you. I know how that applies to me. I know when I was trying to raise up missionaries, I needed to change the way things work. The corporate model in internships at the time that we were starting was you charged interns money, you used that money to pay salaries. Um, but the, the thing I had in my pocket was faith. Faith to believe that if I sought God first, he would provide everything we needed. So we decided not to fight the battle that way, but because we were to raise up a large army of missionaries, not just enough to look after salaries, uh, we decided that we would make our apprenticeship free. So that's how I did that. You may do that very differently. You may have a Goliath this morning. You may have a battle this morning you're fighting. And I was simply asked the question, what are the tools you're fighting with? Who's dictating to you what those tools, what those weapons actually are? How does the devil beat those with God already inside them? He dictates the tactics. And to react humanly to a spiritual battle is like bringing a knife to a gunfight. Just bear in mind, though, that in the kingdom of God, winning an enemy over is greater than beating one up. Okay, third thing from this story I learned many years ago. Stop trying and start training. Stop trying and start training. I've always wanted to surf. And I remember the first time I went to Cornwall on the southwest coast of England. Um, I thought I was going to prepare all year. So I grew my hair long to look like a surfer. And I bought some board shorts. And I hired a surfboard. And I thought, I look the part. I'm going to try this out. And I remember going um, to this beach. And uh, I remember actually, apparently I was in the perfect place for this wave because I'm amongst all the surfers. And one guy shouts out to me, this one got, got your name on it, which I think meant you're in the right place for this wave. And it came and it hit me and I got taken around like a tumble dryer. I got spat out on the beach and some guy had to shout with a horn, can the new guy who's trying to surf, surf please come off the beach? That was pretty embarrassing in front of 2,000 people. But I realized I had to stop trying and start training. Um, 1 Samuel 17 says this, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put a coat of armor on him, and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened onto the sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. Um, I cannot go in these, he replied to Saul, because I am not used to them, so he took them off. A better translation of this is that David says, I've not proven them. I've not proven them. Now, this has become really important for us in what we do. Um, um, when we work with young people at Saints and so many other places, we have this phrase, we're not going to protect their faith, we're going to help them prove their faith. So David's never been able to prove, he doesn't know whether this armor fits, this heavy infantry armor that Saul is trying to fight life with. He doesn't know if it fits, so he takes it off completely and he goes to something he knows has worked before because he's defeated the wild animals. So he grabs this thing he's defeated before and he uses this to kill his Goliath. And the problem for our young people nowadays, 82% of young people who go to church uh, when they're at high school will have left church by the end of their first year at college. Why? Because we've protected their faith. Because they get to school, they get to college, they meet people with a different opinion of them and they've never had to fight. I don't mean that in a physical way. They've never had to argue their points because we've kept away from the naughty people. And rather than going with them to show them how to fight the good fight, we've kept them away from any kind of fight whatsoever. 
and they get there and they throw off the armour of their youth pastor and they throw off the armour of their parents and they've got nothing left. So we determined when we were younger with our lads that we would give them the tools to fight with. You know, and sometimes that just meant me getting up early in the morning when I have to because they had to go to school so we could do a Bible study. I always felt sorry for the boys because sometimes, they had, sometimes that their school start was 45 minutes apart. So for, for all their years, since they were about seven years old, we would get up as a family and do a Bible study together. Sometimes we'd get them to do the Bible study. And um, sometimes that meant one of them would get up like an hour before he needed to. So for years, some, I remember Levi used to get up, do the Bible study, and he'd go back to bed while Joel went to school. But we wanted to equip them with the tools that he needed. I didn't want to just tell them what to believe. I wanted to teach them to find out how to believe. And three weeks ago, um, I was really blessed because Levi's in Berlin now, and he was going through some difficult time. And he said, hey, Dad, maybe we could do a Bible study together. So now we just started doing Havarim over Skype with each other, which is kind of cool. But it kind of comes back eventually, doesn't it? Not to haunt you, it's to bless you. Um, but we, we have to be careful. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, we make men without chests and expect them expect of them virtue and enterprise. If our young people are not given battles to fight to prove their faith, they may do the same. They may just run away like Saul did. Um, there's a great story of um, a, a, a man called Donald G, who was a great preacher in England. And he told a story when he was a boy. He wanted to grow tomato. He lived in London, and he was very, very a long time ago, it was very smoggy. There was always like fog and smog. It was very polluted. And he lived in an, in an apartment, and uh, he wanted to grow tomatoes. So he brought like um, a, a tomato plant and tried to, to grow tomatoes. What happened was he prayed one day, God, I pray there'll be tomatoes on my plant. I pray for tomatoes. His mum heard it. Next morning, he got up. There were tomatoes on his plants. He was really excited. Then he looked a bit closer, and he saw these little green ties connecting the tomatoes to the plants and realized his mum had gone out that, that morning, got some tomatoes, and connected them to the plant. And, and we can't do that for our kids. We can't make things easy for them. Uh, they've got to know it's a battle. They've got to know it's a fight. And what we've got to do is be in the fight with them, and as dads especially, be ahead and show them how to have those scraps, how to have those fights, how to battle. We've got to show them that. And uh, I know some kind of lean this back towards fathers again, but I think for all of us, we need that. If we're dis dis uh, discipling other people, we may have not been discipled this way. Maybe you were protected. Maybe you were kept away from anything naughty. Don't mix with them, they're naughty people. Don't go there, naughty people go there. Don't, maybe you do that. And maybe you're not sure how to fight. But we need to understand we're in a fight. And I think that's incredibly important for us. You know, essentially, we just need to fight. I got a text from Levi today. I was thrilled with it. I was dead chuffed with this place. He said, happy Father's Day, Father. Have a good one. Thanks for everything you do. You're killing it. I love that last bit. You're killing it. I thought that was really cool. Uh, particularly because I was at the time writing about fighting. I thought, I really like that. I want him to see me as a warrior. I want him to see me as a fighter. That's how I want him to see me. So I was proper chuffed when he wrote that down and I got that text this morning. It was encouraging for me. Um, how is God empowering us? He may not remove the obstacle. So if you heard defeat your, your Goliath, how do we get rid of Goliath? That may not be where it is. It's like a rock. He may not, you know, a rock that's too big for you to get over. He may not remove the rock. 
It may just make you bigger so a rock seems a lot smaller. But I want to encourage you to put these principles and to study uh, the story of David and Goliath. If you love the world, you're going to find it hard to change it. If you need to be loved by it, you'll find it almost impossible to change it. Um, Luke 9 says this, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. The reason I say that is, uh, over this last weekend, we started to reach out, and we started to do stuff like we were in the market on Saturday morning, and, uh, and we had a great time, I thought, Friday night. We had the first of what will be at least an annual carnival. We always start small, but it was really good. Thank you for those who came out. I think for our church, it's a bit different from normal churches because most people, most Christians, will get in a car, go off to some church somewhere, and our neighbors don't really know what we get up to. But we're really in the thick of it here, aren't we? You've got nextdoor.com. We're in the market that's local. We're, we're by the pool in the open air doing worship. The question is, does that terrify you or do you rise to the challenge? Men. We need you there on, on the Saturdays, uh, once a month. Come when you can. Come and help us pray for the sick. Come and help us pray for those who, who need prayer. There are people there. Some of them will reject us. Some of them will give us funny comments that aren't very nice. But I know I got, I got a chance to pray with my neighbors yesterday. It was great. We need you. You know, when we're worshiping, how do you, was that frightening you? Are you ashamed? Or, or do you think, hey, that's a great chance to have a bit of a battle with the enemy? I love it, because in my mind, when I'm worshipping, I'm fighting with the enemy. I'm not fighting with people, but I'm giving them a black eye. Because he hates that. He's got to hate that, hasn't he? Praising God in the open air, in your community. How much has he got to hate that? I love it. I like to fight, I've got to be honest. I am more of a lover than a fighter, but I love to fight. I love to fight the enemy. And, and I would encourage you this morning, you are victorious. Jesus has already won the victory, and he's given us tools to fight. Resist the devil. Don't show him your hand. Don't show him where your weakness is. And if he pushes on it, resist him and he'll flee. Decide how to fight. Don't bring a knife to a gunfight. You've got some powerful tools in your pocket. Powerful tools to fight the enemy. And, and finally, I just really want to encourage you um, as we think about this is to really uh, prove your faith by training, not trying. So I think it was David this morning, kind of cool, kind of fit into this really well. Um, because Lynn's ill, um, Lynn was going to open up the service. So we got here this morning, we, we meet at nine to prep. And I said, you know, who's, um, who's opening up? And everyone went, Lynn. I went, oh, that's not going to work, because she's in bed right now. Dave, can you, can you open up? And Dave said, he said, no problem, no problem. I've been training all my life for this, to open up. And that's what happens when you, when you train, you're ready. When you train, you're ready. What is it that God wants you to train at to fight that battle? Um, let's pray and uh, let's ask uh, the Lord to help us this morning. And I want to mention one thing at the end. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your love and your kindness. Uh, we thank you because you are a good God who fights on our behalf. Uh, but Lord, as in everything, uh, you involve us. Lord, you involve us and you've involved us in this fight. And... Um, God, I pray you will give us strength and boldness and courage. But also, I pray you'll give us wisdom and insight as well. Uh, help us recognize the tools that you've given us to fight this battle, we pray. And uh, Lord, we pray for every uh, man in this room, for every father, for every father-to-be in this room. 
that you will bless them, you will encourage them. Uh, for every man who stepped up and is a father figure in someone else's life or a role model in some way. For every, every young boy who is a leader uh, or seen as a leader in, in the group that he mixes with. God, we pray you will give them um, just incredible courage this morning, we pray. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen.